Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. And welcome to The Conology, the podcast that talks to the voices behind the films of one of the world's greatest anime filmmakers, Satoshi Kon. I'm Michael Leader. And I'm Steph Watts, and we've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and these films are speaking my language. So join us on our quest into the world of Satoshi Kon. Hello, Jake and Steph. Welcome back once more into the chronology. We're going to have a bonus episode today. We did tease this in our previous episode, how we wanted all the way through the chronology to open up uh, beyond our three perspectives on the work of Satoshi Kon. We had some great contributions um, in our mailbag episode, but today we're going to have a full interview. Yes, I am really excited about this, not least because... uh... Perhaps this is the start of a brand new journey for me. Perhaps, Michael, this could be the start of a whole redux of our entire project because this means we're having to watch a dub of a film Um, because we're going to be talking about Tokyo Godfathers and I initially watched that in Japanese with subtitles and we talked in our episode about the American G-Kids dub which has been released in the US and hopefully will be coming to the UK sometime soon. Um, but we've got a very special guest who has contributed to that new dub. Yes, yeah, so we were lucky enough to talk to Shakina Nafak, who is the voice of Hannah in this new G-Kids dub. Um, so we talked on the episode about how the English subtitles in the original Japanese maybe don't do some of the translations around Hannah's character justice properly, um, and the fact that the original voice of Hannah was a cis man. And as uh, people have been watching Tokyo Godfathers more and more, Hannah has kind of been picked up as this trans character rather than more of a drag queen character that Satoshi Kon might have first intended. So um, G-Kid's hiring a trans actor to play this role was a really big step. And we were really excited to actually talk to Shakina about what she kind of sees in the the character of Hannah, what that new dub is bringing to the film now, kind of 17 years later, um, and just about that kind of ongoing issues around representation in anime and dubbing. So we started off just talking about what her relationship was with anime and how Tokyo Godfathers kind of fit into that. Uh, So let's hear from Shakina.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, Shakina, thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me today. Um, I'm really curious, actually, to start with, um, before coming to work on Tokyo Godfathers, um, did you have any sort of relationship with anime? Like, did you have any um, preconceptions about what anime was at the, as a genre? Um, and did this film kind of change those or was yeah, it kind of you, what you expected? You know, I was, I'm definitely like an anime novice. You know, I, I had seen like a few iconic films with friends and like I had... Um, you know, I had like grown up watching Eon Flux. So that was maybe like the only <laughs> anime that I was really exposed to. And um, and then when I got the uh, the call to audition for the, the role, I went and watched the film. And um, and I was just like so inspired and and blown away. And it did it did shatter a lot of preconceptions I had about anime just um, because it was so grounded in in the real world, even though it has these sort of magically real elements, um, and and uh, in the you know limited exposure I had to anime before this movie, I had never seen anything that that seemed so grounded in reality. I think this is quite um, an outlier. Uh, yes, to the I've rest heard. Of, yes, <laughs> in following <laughs> conversations, right? That's usually brought up a lot, but um, but I respond. I mean, you know, it just there were so many aspects of it that. Um, that like hit me on an emotional level, you know, on mm-hmm. first watch. Um, and it's one of those, it's one of those films where like, it's it where you can like forget that you're watching animation, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that doesn't happen a lot for me. Like I'm, I'm accustomed to the suspension, suspension of disbelief, but, um, mm-hmm. but there are sometimes like watching it when, um, when I like literally think I'm watching uh, human characters, like have a, an argument. And then I'm reminded that this is animated, you know? Mm. I think um, 
yeah, the kind of that the characters are so kind of um, cartoony that somehow adds to that kind of suspension of disbelief that they are quite real. And I think also you have these amazing performances behind it. And I've watched some of the new dub that um, that you're providing the voice for, and it's just yeah, it makes it feel so kind of warm and human. For despite sure. being animated. Yeah, for sure. You know, and then I love the the cartoonish aspects of w- when these characters, like, you know, um, when, like, Gin turns thermometer red or, like, <laughs> Hana totally transforms when she's, like, imitating the taxi driver. Um, you know, there are, there are aspects to it that keep it fresh and fun and, and sort of, like, remind you that this is fiction, that this isn't, that this is animation. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, you keep coming back to this very real world story and 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 real world people. So has the the new dub of Tokyo Godfathers has already played in the US? Yeah, so we we released in the theaters right before, um, or at least here in New York, right before we shut down. Literally, it was my <laughs> last night out in New York City, and already it felt like we were like going into a war zone and like crossing enemy lines. But we went out to watch the movie on the big screen. And then New York was shut down. Um, mm. So I know it it uh, was seen by some people. And then uh, it recently came out on the, um, you know, wherever on demand is. So people are getting mm. it on um, Amazon and iTunes and such over here uh, in the States. I don't know when it will be released internationally. Um um, I'm assuming before Christmas time. I hope so because, uh, you know, I think it would be really great to have this new dub be available as part of like uh, new holiday traditions. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, mm-hmm. it comes out in the UK and everywhere else uh, before Christmas time, so we can revel in Tokyo Godfathers. I'm gonna make a few again. phone calls. See what I can. See what I can do. <laughs> So what is it about Hannah that you think makes her such a great character? Well, she's larger than life. And I think people respond to that. I think people respond to um, strength and and grit in the face of adversity. And um, they respond to big heartedness. And, um, and they respond to, you know, <laughs> um, like joy especially when mm-hmm. when a character can find joy in in like irredeemable circumstances you know and um and i think that's like what hannah is you know she's just like mm-hmm. this um universal mother figure um and she's like dramatic and loud and brash but loving and loyal and affectionate and and deep and poetic and mystical and faithful and all kind of wrapped up into one like you know uncontrollable wild woman so yeah what's not to love (laughs) yeah definitely I think as well her kind of um I really love the the moment where you get to see that kind of in her professional environment like when they go to the club that she used to work at and you kind of meet her family and then you get that flashback to her performing Um, yeah I feel like it all kind of comes together yeah, that that scene in the nightclub was is my favorite. I mean, um, like the the sort of like um, like Spanish cantina song she's singing and um, and getting like see her in her heyday. And I love also the image um, 
when when we visit the you know the lounge uh, when they're looking for um, shelter and looking for Gin, and we see the image on the wall of Hannah and her husband in the younger days, and uh, just like understanding the sort of like showgirl life that she must have had, you know, and the 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 I mean, there's something about uh, this is very broad, but from from my experience of um, like trans femme culture that is like we can make you know like magic from nothing and um yeah you just get that sense uh, that that's always been her life you didn't really get into this in the previous episode but i know when the casting announcement came out um that like they had brought in a trans woman to read the role there were people or to voice the role there were people who were upset because they felt like hannah's not a trans woman she's a drag queen or something first of all like those things like don't have to be mutually exclusive there are like trans mm -hmm. women who are also drag queens um but um but i don't know there's just like uh so many aspects of her character that feel like you know deeply and truthfully trans to me and i connected with those and i tried to bring them out in my performance yeah definitely and I think well it's really um interesting that she started out uh, by Satoshi Kon saying kind of she he kind of meant for her to be more of a drag queen character and she's been kind of picked up by viewers and um people see her as more of a trans character um so I think that's really yeah interesting how that character can be read by a, a different audience than the person who made it and kind of adopted by viewers like that. Um, I mean, I listen, I'm not, uh, I don't work with G kids. I don't know what their motivation is behind their choices, but my point of view as an artist uh, is like, if you're going to revisit a story and tell it again, uh, like how can you make it, um, the, the most relevant to the, the audience of today who's going to experience the story. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, even though it's only, I mean, it's less than 20 years since the original, there have been tremendous strides in, in terms of like our understanding of trans identity and uh, the, the, the words we use, the labels we use. And so what might not have been considered a trans role or a trans character in 2003 uh, I would argue might have to do with like a lack of understanding and a lack of exposure and a lack of visibility on part on the part of trans people so mm -hmm. that now in in 2020 we we can look back and we can say wow like we might have been using this language to talk about Hana we might have been saying these words but but culturally we understand now that there are a lot more cues and clues embedded in the character herself communicating her transness you know and um and so we can honor that and and make the choice to say different you know rewrite some words in the in the scripts for the dub and the sub and um you know be conscientious of um being on the right side of the joke for example but one of the things that that has come up since the dub um which i think is very important and has been on was on my mind from the moment i took the job is you know as an as an activist who's so focused on issues of representation as a trans woman, uh, you know I was really thrilled to see this opportunity be made this 
the 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 Satoshi Kon estate saying, well, "No, we want to go the extra mile to make sure we cast a trans woman in this role," and and G Kids, you know, affirming that and running with that ball, um, and then, you know, um, some of my friends and colleagues in the industry who who are also trans women, but who are trans women of color, and some, you know, Asian trans women, felt like, well, why was there a white trans woman playing an Asian role? an Asian trans woman role, a Japanese trans woman. And that's a, you know, a really big question that I think, uh, at least here in the States where we are really, you know, um, like facing a huge call to action around uh, equity and representation. Um, it's a big question to ask in terms of dubs in the future um, and, and what, what kind of translations matter in terms of casting? You know, what kind of representations matter? And who, in the case of my casting, like who gets erased when we prioritize transness over whiteness, for example? So mm. um, so it's, it's a really sort of open-ended um, thing that was brought to my attention through working on this project, uh, this, this dub. And I just think it's a really important thing for us to continue discussing and, and working to advance change on because I know, for example, in the video game voice acting world, there's been a lot of pressure to uh, cast more Asian actors in these characters that are like, you know, clearly drawn to be Asian characters. So, uh, yeah, you know, I sort of like, I, 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 I leave that to the industry, uh, you know, to, to <laughs> contemplate. But I also want to say that I think you know, fans really rejoiced in the authentic casting of a trans woman for Hana, and I and I got a lot of support and love for that, and a lot of appreciation from people who felt seen by that. And so I will say that that um, you know, the voice of the fans, the voice of the audiences for these these uh, anime films, like carry a lot of weight, and and uh, production companies and producers will respond to calls for more diversity and calls for greater authenticity and representation. So uh, if that matters to you and you are, you know, a fan of of anime and you uh, and especially care about the way that dubs are cast, then I encourage you to keep raising your voice about that on social media and letting people know when you appreciate it and and not being afraid to uh, let people know when they think when you think they could be doing better. Definitely. I think, yeah, the I guess the the good thing about kind of um, anime at the moment, it has such a huge kind of fan. It has so many fans behind it. And hopefully that will kind of spur if we're getting kind of these more dubs and new dubs, hopefully that will spur more representation kind of right. behind those voices. Well, every platform is an opportunity to engage in a conversation that we need to be having, you know, globally about, Mm. Um, how people are represented in the stories that we tell. And so you can you can be a fan of anime and and stay completely apolitical and that's fine. But you can also use the thing that you love, which might be this art form and these movies and these shows. And you can find a way to, you know, bring the political conversations that matter to you to the form that inspires you. And um, I think that's how we make real change. Mm, definitely. Um, I wanted to ask just actually about the kind of recording process and kind of how that was reworking some of those jokes. Um, I don't know how how much you were kind of 
looking at the old subbed versions and the differences in the new one at all. Yeah, well, you had we had the original Japanese, the literal translation, the original subtitle, um, the new subtitle, and the text to be spoken. So that w- mm-hmm. those were all columns on like every line of the script. So um, you could you could sort of see what the work that was being done to remain faithful to the original language and adapt the language for a contemporary audience. Amazing, because we yeah. um, we had talked to um, one of the uh, kind of people in charge of dubbing of Studio Ghibli films, and they were kind of um, saying about this kind of having to make sure it still comes across and you still get the jokes and everything, but it has to be in a way that you would normally speak and not just like the literal kind of translation right. as you might see in a subtitle. Exactly, exactly. And it has to match the shape and movement of the mouth. So mm. in addition to the like linguistic tricks you're doing on paper to get a to get a good translation, you also have to match it to the dub. So there's there were times when we would um now I can't remember exactly the the quote, but I know um it was between Hana and Yuki and it was one of the insults where she calls her like geezer grandma or something like that. And um, and we were we thought we had found the solution in terms of like the perfect line that sort of captures um, Hannah's identity and 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 like ownership of her own self. And then it didn't fit with the shape that her mouth was making. And so we had mm-hmm. to go back to the drawing board. And 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 this happened a lot. Would You know, I was I had the director in my ear. We had the producer in the booth and. Um, occasionally we'd be like pinging emails back and forth while recording to be like, uh, you know, can we try this instead? It's, even with the song in the cantina, for example, we had to write a bunch of lyrics. Mm-hmm. Those weren't like, you know, as precious as, um, <laughs> you know, lines about the identity that we we're trying to get right. But it was still part mm-hmm. of the fun of uh, trying to make this new dub as, you know, as tight as possible. Mm. I need to go back and check actually about the the little haikus that Hannah says kind of how close those ones are because they're some of my favorite parts of the movie I think absolutely right poems so Mm. beautiful that those pauses that she takes and the whole film just sort of stops and hovers and yeah it's so beautiful what you were saying earlier about it kind of feeling so real and kind of in the real world despite being an animation this does feel like a film where it is set in Tokyo but it has kind of themes that are universal and that kind of anyone who's watching should be able to look at and and relate to in their own surroundings. Yeah. You you know, two things that are interesting. Well, the first is that that um the Tokyo National Theater is is was planning on a live stage production of Tokyo Godfathers next year in 2021 with like COVID-19 and the decimation of the theater industry. I don't know how quickly they'll get back, you know, to that level of production if that's um, mm-hmm. on in the table still. But super cool to know that the story is still is still relevant enough uh, to merit a, a, tr- a translation to a whole another form, and uh, and that people are ready and excited to see a live version of these characters, which I think is really thrilling. And then to your point about the universality of it. Um, you know, it's interesting because if you if you watch the dub, it's set in a real New York context. 
and it, it and I kind of love that because it's sort of taking this story that 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 originated as you know gunslinging old west American <laughs> fable and then like casting it in you know turn of the millennia Japan and then now bringing it back to like a new millennium New York you know and and it's, it's a story that keeps on uh, like I said before, finding new ways to remain relevant. But I think that like, uh, yeah, there's something universal that allows it to sort of drop into a genre and and uh, and uh, a character dynamics and tropes that that we sort of already know and love. It, it feels familiar at first sight. It's the ultimate holiday movie, ultimate Christmas. <laughs> right, it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, what more do you need, you know? Yeah. <laughs> do you think you're going to delve into more anime after working on this film? I am down, you know. Um, I mean, I've been uh, um, watching, oh, now I feel like a jerk because I can't think of the name of this new, oh, <laughs> Seis Manos on Netflix, which was really interesting because it was like anime meets like black exploitation and mexploitation. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, and I thought that was really an exciting series. I don't know if they're going to get renewed for another season, but... Um, that I thought that was really cool. Um, and then as an actor, I mean, I had never done voice acting before Hana and I loved it and I would love to do more. Um, I think it's so freeing and there's just so much more you can do. And, and, and then as a writer, you know, I have, I, I have stories that I'm always trying to find like the right form to tell them. And I never really considered animation as an avenue that I might go down as a storyteller. And now having worked in this form a little bit i'm excited to see like what i can you know bring to that to that genre as a storyteller Mm-mm. i think it's such an exciting time as well because you do have this kind of whole medium that is now just like showing up on netflix and you can right. just dip in and watch like a whole series that like 20 years ago people were like struggling to find vhs tapes for and stuff like that so it's really it's really exciting i think we do talk quite a lot um on the podcast uh because jake our co-host is very kind of new to anime mm-hmm. um and normally has these kind of more western frames of reference so he's a big fan of indiana jones and things like that yeah um, i heard that that are always kind of coming in and out so it'll be like yeah this is like indiana jones and this is like lost and whatever um mm-hmm. i guess just like do you have any um, live action or other animated kind of non-Japanese films that you're really kind of into that you'd always recommend to people? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Wow, I didn't think I'd get to like make these kind of recommendations. Um, there is a film, it's called The Cradle Rock. And um, it is um, it is a film about the Federal Theater Project in the United States in the 1940s. But it's like uh, also... Um, it just has the most amazing cast in the world. And um, and it really has a lot to do with like the state and art making and subversion. And it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And so since you asked if I had a recommendation, I thought if there's like one film I could recommend to your audiences to maybe understand like a little bit about like theater makers and the legacy of dissent in the United States, that I would offer that film. Um, and I'm mean, looking up the title now. The Cradle Will Rock, and uh, so I can give you some more information about it because it's so killer. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, um, 
it has so this is the cast you ready um hank azaria ruben blades joan cusack john cusack um who else is really famous cherry jones um bill murray vanessa redgrave susan sarandon like there's just so many incredible people oh emily God. watson john tuturo it really is an incredible incredible film um and yeah it uh, was directed by tim robbins and written by tim robbins and i think i don't know oh. when it came out but i'll i'll find that out too for you um but anyway it takes place sorry in the 1930s during the great depression when uh when the u.s government created a program called the federal theater project was meant to put out of work actors and theater makers back to work but um then uh people became suspicious of like um the sort of like communist threat of state supported actors um making work about the economic crisis and uh yeah it's it's just a brilliant brilliant magical film um that uh, everyone should see that sounds great <laughs> yeah to, yeah everyone's gonna have to go watch that now and directed by tim robbins yeah that yeah, yeah. actually i saw one of his I went to the Venice Film Festival last year and he had a film, it was like a documentary about, I think his theatre company going into prisons and kind of right. um, make, like doing um, absurd theatre comedy in yeah, like devised groups in prisons. Work. Yeah, well, you know, that's something like, I'm, I'm always going to be like a proud theatre artist uh, before before I am any of the other things, you know, that I do, like whether I'm working in anime or TV or whatever. And um, it's just something about like coming up in the theater that, um, I don't know, maybe it gives you a different kind of like uh, grit and empathy because it's so hands-on and collective and and so reliant on make-believe. Um, mm -hmm. And so you just learn how to you know, create worlds together with uh, with very limited resources. And I mean, eventually, you know, you can get huge resources when you get like West End or Broadway, but that's not what like growing up a theater maker is. Like, it's like being in a black room with like a black box and a black door and being like, I'm going to make a wonderland. I guess that helps with having to create a voice for a character and not having any anything. props or anything. If yeah, you're no, no props. I remember uh, in the previous uh, episode y'all were talking about the chase scenes in Tokyo Godfathers that are like very dynamic and action adventure and very Indiana Jones and you have to imagine that that whole thing is performed like with like me alone in a room with a mic sitting on a stool trying to like breathe like I'm in danger you know what I mean it's all like <laughs> uh screams and yelps and pants and huffs and uh it honestly sounds like it could be like the the soundtrack to like a blue film or like a chase scene. You just don't know what's going on. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, li listen, um, we all are tasked with, you know, the, the job of, of convincing people it's, it's safe to go on the journey to imagine with us, you know, that you can, mm -hmm. that you can believe in the story enough to invest in it with your heart energy, you know, with your, with your, with your soul, not just, you know, analytically, we want people to feel. And so um, we have to do our work to, to conjure that and then, and make it believable and uh, invite people in. And just, that's what, 
you know, theater makers, storytellers, I mean, shamans around fires. I mean, we've been doing that for centuries and we will continue to do that in whatever medium we're afforded. And that was Shakina Nafak talking to Steph. Steph, thanks so much for bringing that interview to us. It really broadens out the conversation. And thanks to Shakina too for sparing uh, her time to talk with us. You can follow her on Twitter at Shakines. That is S-H-A-K-E-E-N-Z. And we should thank G-Kids as well. G-Kids are doing amazing work in the animation space. We've mentioned them so many times, uh, both across Ghibli Tech and Chronology. Uh, so thanks to the team for helping set up that interview. Um, you can now get that new Tokyo Godfathers dub in the States if you live out there. Hopefully one day we'll get to hear it internationally in the UK soon. Fingers crossed. And although we covered his final film two episodes ago, we have actually now reached the actual end of the chronology series um which means that we are on the hunt for what we could be doing next on the podcast so whether that is uh a further exploration of ghibli related projects whether it's another director like satoshi khan who's got a filmography we could be diving into or something entirely different if you've got something that you want us to cover do let us know and you can do that by emailing ghibli at little.studios.com we may still have one or more treats and unusual episodes coming up in the meantime, though. But until then, you can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham. You can follow Steph on Twitter at underscore Steph Watts. And you can follow Michael at Michael J. Leader. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Moe, and Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts and Harold McShiel. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.